Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. So, what I was saying, right? When you go to a banquet, there's certain expectations that you have, certain assumptions that you'll find when you get there. And usually there's a, a taste of reality when you get there. It's not exactly what you expected. I remember uh, I just finished high school. I was working uh, at a golf course uh, serving at banquets. And this golf uh, course would put on these elaborate, and I mean like spectacular banquets, uh, huge. And they would literally bring people from all over the world. I got to meet so many famous people from this, these banquets that we would host. And they were from all walks of life, and they would just dress in the nine. They would dress to impress. And then I remember specifically this one time. This one time, a, a gentleman showed up, and uh, you may know him, you may not know him. His name was Lars Ulrich. He was a drummer for the band Metallica, and he showed up to this charity event, this grand gala, this huge banquet that we put on, and he shows up, first of all, in a mullet, okay? Uh, Anyone here, be honest, you've had a mullet in your history, in your life? No? Okay. Okay. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with mullets. I, I totally understand. You've got, you know, business in the front, you know, party in the back. You want to show people that you're both, you know, mature and fun, right? I totally get that. I really do. But not only did he have this huge mullet, but he comes in to a golf course, right, to this huge banquet, and he comes with this ripped shirt, like he had no sleeves on his shirt, right? And then not only that, but he comes in with these ripped jeans, and they were so ripped that you could actually see more skin than jean. I'm not even joking you. Anyways, he comes, he comes to this, this banquet before it starts, and he goes, I'd like, to, I'd like to hit a round of golf. And we're looking at him, and we're like, you can't dress like that. You can't, no way, you can't play golf, right? And he's like, he goes to my manager. He goes, do you know who I am? And my manager goes, well, yeah, you're, you're Lars Aldrich from, from Metallica. And he's like, yes. And what are you going to do about it? And the guy goes, my manager goes, you're going to play. And he's like, yeah, exactly. So anyways, Lars gets up to hit, and all of us are just assuming this guy's going to be terrible. And he gets up there, you know, ripped jeans and all, and no sleeves, and he borrows a pair of clubs, and he just, and he hits it, and I mean like 300 yards straight. Like this guy, something must have been directing him in his mullet that just made it go absolutely straight. And talk about... uh, Talk about having a certain assumption sidelined by reality when we meet this guy. But if you think about it, often our assumptions dictate 
uh, are dictated by cultural surroundings, the circumstances we encounter, and even how we process our emotions. But just because we assume something doesn't always make it true. And this is where our story begins today. If you would open up your Bibles, we're going to be reading in Luke chapter 14, 15 to 24. Luke 14, 15 to 24. So let me just give a little, uh, a little bit of information before. We see a conflict between assumption and reality in this story. And it all starts one Sabbath day when Jesus is out for dinner uh, with, a, uh, uh, with a Pharisee and all his friends. He's having this meal with them. And these are wealthy, prominent, powerful political leaders and, and uh, religious leaders of the time. And so they're with Jesus, this rabbi, and so naturally they start asking him all these questions. And some of them are actually very difficult questions. And yet Jesus is willing to respond to each and every one of them. But one of the things that's, uh, that Jesus says actually triggers from the Pharisee, it raises a thought in his mind. And so he boldly yells out, while Jesus is talking, he says, uh, uh, he starts discussing about how great it will be the day that we eat at the great banquet in heaven. And if you look deeper into the text, you'll notice that the man was actually referring to a vision that the prophet Isaiah had in Isaiah 25, 6 to 9. In this vision, we actually see a beautiful picture of a messianic banquet that the Lord will be uh, that will the Lord will prepare, and it'll be fit for kings. It'll be this immaculate, amazing banquet, and it'll be held in Zion, on the mountain of Zion in heaven, and will include all nations. Isaiah says that I see that all nations will be there. Death will be no more. Tears will be wiped away. And it will be an amazing day of salvation for all those nations that believed in the Messiah. Now, what a beautiful imagery for you and I today of what heaven will be like. But there's just one problem with this as we're reading the story. In this story, and often in our story, our assumptions can take a wrong turn from reality. You see, the Israelites at this point in time were, were going through uh, a difficult series of events. They went over 400 years without hearing from God. They actually went into exile, and at this point in time, they're actually ruled by the Roman Empire. And so, understandably so, a lot of these things that were prophesied about, these truths that were spoken, they assumed what the prophet was saying was something a little bit different. They assumed wrong and they assumed differently. They assumed that the invitation that Isaiah was talking about must not have included everyone, but only included their nation. So today I want to actually talk a little bit about what that banquet will look like, uh, what the banquet will look like, that great banquet that each one of us will go to. And not only what the banquet will look like, but I also want to take a look at who will be at this banquet. And uh, the way that Jesus does this by uh, talking 
to the Pharisees and to the religious leaders and the political leaders is he talks about it in such a way as what we call parables. And so today we're going to actually continue our series. It's called Tales of the Kingdom. And so we're going to look at uh, a parable that Jesus got to share with, uh, with the people at this feast about what heaven would look like, who will be there. Um, so Luke 14, I'll continue on. It says, in Luke 14, 16 to 17, Jesus replied to a man, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now you need to know that at this time, when Jesus was telling this story, what was customary at the time was to send out two invitations. The first invitation was to let you know of a party. There was going to be an event that would happen, almost like a save the date, do not, do not book something on this specific date. And then the second invite was going to say, hey, just so you know, the food is ready, the banquet is ready, come out. To us, this would be like a, a modern day Evite or a, a, a Facebook invite. And you have to remember, this isn't a typical banquet. The Bible says that this is a great feast. This is a great banquet. So when Jesus is telling this parable, he's talking about this was something that literally was involving the entire town, the entire city. All would be invited to this event. It was a great thing. It wasn't like your prom banquet. It wasn't like your work banquet or your Christmas banquet. This thing was huge. And so not only was it big, but all people were invited, and it was so important. And Revelations 19.9 actually talks a little bit more about what this great banquet looked like. And he actually said that blessed are the people, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. But here in our story is where Jesus starts to correct the man's thinking of the great banquet in that the man envisioned the glory of God's kingdom, but he did not yet understand how to get a share in it. And like him, each one of us, many of us believe we can just get in. We can just get that share, but aren't willing to respond to the invitation. You see it all the time when we, when we get invitations to go to events. Maybe, maybe you're like me. You have found something better to do, so you, or sorry, you haven't found something better to do, so you just think, hey, it's okay for me to just show up. I know I haven't said yes to the event, but I'll just show up. Or maybe you actually have found something that you think is better to do, and you do what I love to call the not-so-great excuse. Everyone here like to make a lot of excuses, right? We hear it all the time. Luke 14, 18, Jesus continues it with this parable, and he says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. Let's look at those three excuses. Who in their right mind would buy a field but not inspect it before they purchase it? Who in their right mind would buy oxen or cattle and not inspect them before they purchase it? 
Now this third one, <laughs> I just got married, you know, it's early, I'm going to bed. Maybe I can understand that one, okay? I just, that one, maybe. But when I listed off these different excuses, all of them were weak. They all made excuses. And they would have deeply offended the host, especially because he had invested a lot into this banquet. If you actually look what Jesus is talking about when he's referring to this banquet, it cost him his life. This banquet, for you and I to receive these invitations, it cost a life. That was a high price for him. But he found it worth it to invite us there. But the guests who previously said yes in our story turned him down with weak excuses. They turned down the invitation because the timing was inconvenient. You know, likewise, we make excuses all the time to not get closer to God. Whether it's work-related issues, whether it's family engagements, uh, maybe it's even financial reasons. Maybe uh, what he's asking of us is too hard. It's too hard to be committed to God. What he wants, I, I just, that, that's too much for me. Or maybe it's someone in the church hurt me, right? Someone did this to me, and so I don't even attend church anymore. I don't, I don't really believe in God because, well, that person represents God. And we make all these excuse, uh, excuses and all these reasons not to, to get to know God. And it's tough. It's hard. But we continue making these excuses. Matthew 8, 21 to 22 tells a similar story in which another disciple said to Jesus, he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus replies to him, he says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And you need to know today, like these excuses that we make, these things, this is not a new issue. People have been making excuses throughout history. And I'm sure each of you have heard or made some pretty interesting excuses. If you are a child, which all of you are, I'm sure you have made some very interesting excuses. I have literally tried to uh, put um, uh, alphabet soup in a toilet to make it look like I threw up so that my parents, I can't go, <laughs> right? My parents are looking at the alphabet soup saying, looking in the toilet and going, it spells lies. I can tell you're lying right now. Get to church, right? But we make all these, these different excuses, these crazy excuses. So I thought I'd have a little fun. These are not my, this is not my list, but I, I, I went out of my way to do some research, and I actually found the top 10 most used excuses, all right? And here's what I found. Some of them... You might know them, okay? Number one, I forgot, right? Seems like a good one. Number two, no one told me to go ahead. Number three, I don't think it was that important. Number four, wait until the boss comes back and ask him. Number five, I didn't know you were in a hurry for it. We say that a lot of times when it's, we have to make our bed or clean the house, right? Oh, you wanted me to do that now? Okay, my bad. 
Uh, number six, that's the way we've always done it. Number seven, that's not in my department. Number eight, how was I to know this was different? Number nine, I'm waiting for an okay. And 10, and this is one of my favorites, that's his job, not my job. Now, what kind of pastor would I be here in this place today if I didn't give a little bit of a twist and make it a little bit more, I don't know, Christian? So here are my top 10 most used excuses for not coming to church. All right, you ready? One, I forgot there was church on Sunday. (laughs) Two, no one told me it was a weekly thing. Three, I didn't think the series was that important for me. Four, uh, I'll wait till Christmas. Five, I wanted to have a day of rest. Six, what are you talking about? Once a month is committed. Seven, and this is a good one. Seven, don't look at me, blame my kids. I'm not a parent yet, but I I have a little bit of sympathy for that one. Nine, I was waiting to hear God tell me personally to go. And ten, ten, it's not my job to come every week. It's yours. Yes. That's good. Here's the thing, though. John Maxwell, if you were at the the GLS Summit um, this past week, uh, they had a speaker, John Maxwell, and and he said this, and I I thought it was so... uh, so inspiring and so true. He said that people have these uphill hopes in life. Each one of us has these desires and these goals that we set and things that we want to see happen in our lives. We all have these uphill hopes, but the problem is we have these downhill habits. We have uphill hopes, but downhill habits, and it's so true. The truth is, is we think we can make excuse after excuse about God, about church, and think that we can wind up at the same place when this life is over. We think we don't need that relationship with God. We don't need to go that in depth. We have all these dreams and goals, and we have this vision of what heaven will be like and the fact that we're there, but we're not willing to take the time. Because life gets busy, finance gets tough, businesses come and go, things happen. But we make these excuses and think that we'll still wind up in the same place, even if we live a different lifestyle. Matthew seven twenty one to 23 says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Check this out but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? This sounds like people that thought they really knew God and thought they were doing really good things, right? And that's okay. Good things are good things. But check this out. See what what Jesus says here. He says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me. You know, I really do believe that'll be a sad day. A day full of regrets and tears 
Because some will learn that they never actually knew God. They never made the time for him. The excuses will run dry. And that all will be left will be them standing before God saying, you're right, you're right. Maybe when I listed off these different excuses, none of these uh, resonated with you. But maybe if you took a moment, stopped what you were doing, took a breath, you would reflect and realize that, you know what, I really haven't had an intimate moment with God in a long time. I've been so busy, I've been so focused on doing other things that I haven't stopped to actually grow in my relationship with him, to actually spend time with him. And some of these things that busy up our lives, they, they're good things. They're, they're things that are okay. You know, maybe it's, it is attending the church and volunteering and doing all these different things. They could be exactly that, but none of them are more important that in, than that invitation with God. None of them. The truth is, is the choices that we make today have an eternal importance in your life. The times that you spend today in what you do, in the busyness of it all, or in the relaxation of it all, has eternal importance. And it has eternal consequence. And so it's important to use the time wisely. Doing good things is good. Being busy is okay, just as long as you're taking that time aside to make God a priority and that relationship important and a priority. And I love our God. This, this is why God is so great, is because he continues to extend the invitation over and over and over again to each one of us. This is how God is. This is how he operates. He loves you so much that he keeps tugging on your heart, saying, let me in, spend time with me. You won't regret it. In the story, we read it in a, in a parallel uh, verse in Matthew. It says that three times they went out to bring the invitation to bring in people. God is constantly going after people. Some of you here have loved ones that you're praying for, that God would do a good work in their life, that God would bring them home. And you need to know that God is faithful and he's doing that. He's sending out that invitation. Your prayers for those people matter and they're making a difference. God is going out and sending that invitation to each one of us and to them, which tells me, that there's still hope. There's still hope. Each one of us has received what I call the great invitation. The very breath, as we talked about it, the very breath in your lungs is a testament of God's faithfulness in your life. And you can, ex you can still accept that invitation that he offers for heaven and to enjoy eternity with him. Luke 14 21 to 23 says that man who put on the great feast told his servants to go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered have been done, 
but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And you know what? It didn't matter what they looked like. It didn't matter what their past was. None of that mattered. What was the most important thing and what mattered most was that they accepted the invitation. At Portico here, we call that actually uh, uh, saying yes to Jesus. When you say yes to Jesus. And today, he is inviting you to be a part of that great banquet. All you have to do is accept the invitation. The Bible actually says in John 1, 11 to 12, it says that he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Luke 13, 19, uh, or sorry, 29 to 30 says that these people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and the first will be last. Maybe you're here today and you said yes to Jesus a long time ago. You said yes, but things have gotten in the way. Things have gotten busy and you've uh, unintentionally uh, put your relationship with God on the back burner. Maybe you're in the room and you've thought like the Pharisee. Maybe you've been judgmental of other people. You've looked at other people and thought, well, how could they get in? How could they be a part of that? And you're realizing that, you know what? There's something in my heart that needs to change. There's something that needs to change in my heart. Or maybe you're here and you've been living with shame. You've been living with guilt and you've been living with worry. And you're thinking to yourself, how could a God love me and invite me? Look at me. Look at what's going on in my heart. People don't see it, but I know. And you might be here in that, in that place right now. Maybe you're here today, and you know what? This is just a refresher, a refocus of, yeah, you know what? God is doing a good thing. God is using us in this moment. God is inviting me to, to, to this invitation. And it just refocuses you and keeps your eyes on heaven. Heather, if you can, if you can come up. I'd like all of you to hear this, this song that I've actually asked her uh, to play. It's a, a song called Carried to the Table. And hopefully uh, this can give you a better picture of God's great invitation to each one of us, um, wherever you might find yourself. Take a listen. Uh, before we go, I just want to uh, share this last thing with you. It's a quote from Timothy Keller's book, The Prodigal God. It's just a, a picture of what heaven will be like. And so I encourage you to think about this invitation. Think about how you live in today, the excuses we make. This is what he says. He says, Jesus, unlike the founder of any other major faith, holds out hope for ordinary human life. Our future is not a ghostly, impersonal form 
of conscientiousness. We will not float through the air, but rather we'll eat, embrace, sing, laugh, and dance in the kingdom of God in degrees of power, glory, and joy that we can't at present imagine. Jesus will make the world our perfect home again. We will no longer be living east of Eden, always wandering and never arriving. But we will come and the Father will meet us and embrace us and we will be brought into the feast. Today, make sure you respond to that invitation that God is extending to you, making those wise choices in how you live today by accepting that invitation and showing up so that you too can have this hope and find yourself at the banquet when Jesus returns. Let's pray. God, I, I, I just, hearing this song and, and, and knowing how so often we can make excuses, God, where we feel like we're not good enough, where we feel like we're almost just ashamed. How could we be brought to something so incredible? Or maybe even the thought of just, well, yeah, I deserve this. But God, when we look at everything in life, when we look at the struggles, when we look how we live our lives, sometimes it doesn't line up. And yet, God, you carry us there. You bring us to this table. You invite us to this banquet that you'll hold one day. And Lord, just with all of these thoughts, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, God, that you would be willing to send your son so that we could get the invite so that we could be a part of something greater than ourselves, so that we could experience something so immense, so great, that we can't even fully imagine what it would be like even now. Lord, I just pray for every single person here in this room that they would accept that invitation, that they would respond, and that today they would live different. They would live wisely. Lord, and we commit this all to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's been a good, good Sunday. Everyone doing well? Good, 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 good. I encourage you today. You've got a God who's on your side, and he's inviting you. So make this life count. <laughs>